Well, we're, um, we started last week, which was the first Wednesday of the year, um, with a new series that we'll do all this year at least. Anybody know what it's called? Believe. 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 And um, I did pretty much of an introduction to that last week, but everything that we do this year on Wednesday nights, except for next Wednesday night, um, next Wednesday night is Night of Baptisms. Okay, and so um, that is a wonderful celebration. It's one of our um, favorite services, too. So if you're not signed up for baptism, get signed up for baptism. That's next Wednesday night right here. And it's um, going to be an awesome, awesome time. So you'll want to be a part of that. But again, if you've not been baptized and you'd like to, um, get signed up. And they'll give you instruction on that. And that'll be a good time. Y'all happy? Y'all good? Some, some of y'all are like, like this. So I, I ain't scared. So, all right. Um, but uh, we began last week with kind of an introduction. I'll, I'll add a little bit more onto that, and then we want to dive into where we're going. And uh, this is going to be an exciting uh, series. I'm really looking forward to teaching all this. Let's look at Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said to him, and he's quoting also out of Deuteronomy, You shall love the Lord your God with all your, help me, heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So we know that we're to love God with, with everything that we are. Um, but we need to also understand, we're going to kind of zero in on this because this may be an area where we need to catch up a little bit. We need to also love the, the Lord, our God with all of our mind, with all of our mind. And this is a year that we're going to be talking about believing. I opened last week with this, that we are believers and I'd rather be a believer than anything else. Uh, we are believers, um, but what is it that we believe? Just what is it that we believe? And why do we believe what we say we believe? And here, here's the big, a big one here too. Can you articulate what you believe? You know, over, over my life as a believer, different people, I've, I've observed different people. Uh, well, I, I just believe it. Well, that's good, but it would help you and it would help others as well if you could maybe articulate what it is that you believe and why you believe. And I'm not taking exception with this. You know, I've seen the bumper sticker. You might have it, so please don't be offended. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, that's good. That's good, but we're leaving out a few things here. Do you know why you believe it? Well, God said it. But see, we have a responsibility not just to... uh, Take it like that and then be gruff and locked up because God forbid anybody ask you a question, you know. Um, So we need to understand that why do we believe what we believe? And I I want us to be informed, thinking believers. And Christianity is both heart and head. It's heart and head. Now, in uh, 1 Peter 3, 15, the new... New International Version, it says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So there's your hearts. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So again, you know, it's heart and head. Now, you need to be able to give a reason. It actually has, um, and not in the sense that most of you do at home, but it actually has to do with argue. Okay. How many of you argue? You're not going to tell me. It's so funny. I'm in Target or Walmart or something. See a couple at it. And then they see, 
Hey, pastor. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Yeah. So anyway. But it's not in the sense like you argue at home. But it, it, it's, it's a reasoning together. And you cannot, I mean, even if you know and can articulate things, please know this. You can't argue people into the kingdom of God. Amen. If you could argue, in, well, I'm, I'm going to just logically lay it out and then they'll have no choice. It doesn't work that way. If you could logically, if you could argue them in, in that sense, the word argue them into the kingdom, guess what is pot- potential? Somebody could argue them back out. So understand that salvation and a relationship with God and being in the family of God and the kingdom of God is, is a work of the Holy Spirit. And he would deal with the hearts of men. But, you know, it helps when the head is going along with this. And uh, I just think in the day that we live, the world that we are surrounded by, that we're in the world, we're not of the world, but we are here and we are to be salt and light. We're not to be mushrooms hidden in some dark place. You know, we are salt and we are light and we are to have impact. And scripture clearly tells us, mandates us that we need to be ready to give an answer for the, the reason, for the hope, the confidence, the belief uh, that we have inside. Are you all with me? I think we should be thinking articulate believers. And I think our heart always should be bigger than our heads. But come on, let's grow these a little bit. You all with me? All right. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this next thought, but I, knew, I do need to bring this up. Our culture, and it's just mankind, constantly vies to shift language and shift definitions to make it convenient uh, to justify what they do. Our, and it's not just unique to our day, but boy, it's evident in our day. So redefinitions. Of, of marriage, of sexuality, of, of right and wrong, of uh, conception or not, and, you know, life and death. It, it, all, all of these things, an effort to redefine and shift, shift meanings with that. And that's not really my, my, uh, what I want to take up tonight, but it's important that we understand that's going on in, in our culture. That mankind has always tried to do that. And what that does, it actually creates more of a necessity then that we know what we believe. Because what you, when you know what you believe, then you're able to have some definitions. And they're not so fluid. They won't move all the time. If, if, we, if we can clearly define according to God's eternal truth some things, then for us, and it's not a responsibility to stop all moral and cultural shift. We can't anyway. But we have to know what we believe and 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 be grounded in the truth of God. And so to to avoid a lot of confusion for all of us, then we need we need to know what it is we believe. We need to know God's definitions on on virtually everything here. Theology actually is the foundation for everything else. And what man tries to do then is mankind to suit his fancy to cover his sin, to feel better about whatever he's doing. He wants to shift things. And so even creation evolution, you know, he's constantly wanting to shift things uh, to better suit him so he can hopefully feel a little bit better uh, about not, not walking with God or not honoring God. 
And be that conscious or unconscious. Are you following me? Okay. So let me go back to this. Um, we are going to be talking about theology. We're going to be talking about doctrine. But please know this is going to be understandable. It's going to be engaging, enjoyable, um, uh, digestible. You're going to grow as a result of just getting these things settled down, down in, in our hearts and in our minds. Amen? Now, I want to take just a moment on this that I shared last week, and then we're going to shift gears and, and dive into some of this. If we don't know what we believe, we shared this last week. If we don't know what we believe, first of all, then we won't apply it. We won't apply it because application is the proof of learning. So if I don't know what I believe, then I'm certainly uh, the chances of me applying that are about none. If you don't know what you believe, then you can't defend your faith. And more and more, we're in a day where you have to defend your, de- uh, defend your faith. If we don't know what we believe, then we're subject to wrong beliefs. Um, you, you've just got to get that settled. Have, have you ever done that before? You know, I, I can remember in math class. And the answer is, uh, Tim, and, uh, what's the answer? 36. And so it's 42. 42. You know, it's because if you don't know the answer, then you're subject to anybody that looks like they might know the answer. Okay? You're, you're looking around for it. And so if you, don't, if you don't know what you believe, you're subject to wrong beliefs. The other thing with that, too, is we'll take things out of context. And that's a dangerous thing when you start to then pull Scripture then to satisfy something that you want it to say, uh, you know, so you can feel better about things as well. If you don't know what you believe, you can't effectively share your faith with others. So I go, just, just, just give your life to God. Now, there needs to be a little bit more Amen. with this. And then here's a big one that I want, I want to spend a little time on. If we don't know what we believe, we're not going to be able to pass our faith on to our children. And as I shared with you last week, it only takes one generation. It only takes one generation of ignorance of something for a truth to die. And if you take one generation and, and, and get this combination here, one generation that knows it, Loves it, lives it. They've, they've got the truth. And, and this is a reality in our culture today, okay? That let's go two generations back, and it's always happened, but I mean, I'm just trying to place where we are right now. If one generation take the truth of God's word, they know it, they love it, they live it. But if you don't effectively share that with the next generation, if you don't effectively share that with the next generation, then this next generation, then they just remember it and they don't really embrace it if it's not effectively shared. Now, when our whole family got born again, I was in like sixth grade uh, and my parents got better at this as time went on. But I remember like three weeks into this, they're like, get in the living room now, Bible study. We're going to read Leviticus. It's like, I'm going to make myself throw up. That's what I tell my brother. Yeah. I'll be sick today. You can be sick tomorrow. Yeah. Cause it's like, what? You know, and if you, if that's the way faith, you be quiet during prayer. Yeah. I and mean, you should be, but there's a way to do things. Okay. So if you don't effectively share your faith with that next generation, they're not going to embrace it. They're just going to remember it. And then if somebody doesn't get revived to this truth in this generation, then that next generation 
that next generation, they will reject the truth. And then it will start to be something that's foreign, mythical, forgotten. It's just not relevant to them anymore. So truth has to constantly be shared effectively. So it can't just be real to you. You've got to know why. You've got to be able to articulate a little bit why it's real to you. So that's one of the main reasons we're doing that. And I shared with you last week, it's why we as a church have a, a huge commitment to our next generation ministries. Because we want to help them to effectively share uh, the truths of God's word, you know, to that next generation. But it's not just the church's job. Y'all, y'all have dinner. Y'all, it's not just the church's job. It's your job. It's your job. And um, they say, oh, it's too late. No, it's never too late. Okay, it's never too late. But hop on it and let's learn so that we can share these things. Amen. All right. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, everybody say teaching them, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so making disciples is different than just making converts. So the, to fulfill the Great Commission, it does involve evangelism, but it also involves teaching. And so Jesus did not say, just go make converts. And that's why we need to be very careful in any kind of outreach type of thing. We want to make sure, is there some kind of follow-up? Is there some kind of way? We don't want to just people make a decision. We want them to, to really become a disciple, a disciplined learner, a disciplined follower of Jesus. And so teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And he said, I'll be with you to do that. And so it does involve teaching as well. If we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, I believe, let me overlay it with this, we've got to know what we believe. And we've got to share what we believe with others. So we're going to talk about doctrine. Everybody say doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. Doctrine is a body of of beliefs. Um, We're going to talk about theology. Everybody say theology. It's essentially the same. And, and systematic theology then would be that we're going to go through the Bible and we're not going to be able to cover everything, but we'll take themes and subjects and kind of gather together. What does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about heaven? What does the Bible say about angels? What does the Bible say about, and we get that together and that's, that's what systematic theology is. Okay. So now you're smarter than your neighbor. Okay, and so that's essentially what we're going to be doing. We're not going to get stuck on a bunch of big words or whatever. I want I want us to be able to have this, though, and be able to carry this and understand this. And it will help us. And consequently, it's going to help people around us. So tonight, let's let's start out with something called general revelation, general revelation. Go ahead and say that with me. General revelation. Okay. God is the creator. Well, where'd you get that? From the Bible. How many of you know he existed far before we did? Yes. When did God begin? Never. He's always never. How many of you understand that? That God never began? Right. No, you don't understand. None of us understand that. We don't, we don't understand. That's so beyond us, okay? So we've got an eternal God who creates, and he creates man, and now God wants to reveal himself to man because things are... 
things are different than God and Adam in the cool of the morning, cool of the day in the garden, okay? So now we've got mankind uh, by the billions and God, does God want a relationship with these people? Okay, so God wants to reveal himself. You need to know that, that God is a, uh, he reveals himself to people. He makes himself known to people. Now he uses us, but ultimately he wants to reveal himself. So first of all, we have general revelation. What general revelation is, is, a, is the way that God, now, now get this, because it's going to help you to understand a lot of people. God has a way called general revelation that he's going to reveal himself to every person everywhere. Every person everywhere. And one of the main ways that he does that is through creation. Through the works of his hands. It's called his, his handiwork. And so he's able to reveal himself to everyone everywhere. There's other forms of revelation. There's there's uh, divine revelation, special revelation. We'll talk about those as we go. But first of all, creation. Everybody say creation. So primarily through creation, through the works of his hands. Let's read a couple of verses here. Romans 8, 3. David said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. Do you think about that? And heavens, we're not talking about heaven, you know, angels and pearly gates. We're talking about the heavens, the sky, the firmament that's, a, that's above us. Did you know that's the work of his fingers? Is he done with it? Did you notice it changes every day? If, if you could just look up there and I, you know what y'all do too much of? Am I, am I right? You know, you just need to kind of, I'm, I'm making a habit just about every morning. It's a little too cold lately to, you know, read on the front porch at 530 in the morning. But to go out there about sunset and just stand there for a moment and do this thing called breathe. And just look for a moment. And it moves. It moves. You know, I've heard, I've heard uh, there's places like in Las Vegas and stuff, they've got like these domed ceilings and there's like clouds that are projected up there and they move and people go in there, look at that, the clouds move. <laughs> Whoopee. <laughs> go outside, they do too. And they're real. And they're never the same, you know. And so that's the work of his fingers. Let's keep, let's keep reading with this. Um, the moon, it should be a full moon tonight and the stars, which you have set in place. And he, and let me tag back. He said, when I consider all that, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. It's pretty amazing. Psalm 19 verse one through six, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, glory there really has to do with his presence and his power. I mean, you know, he's pretty powerful. And the firmament shows his handiwork, literally the work of his hands. You ever made something cool? Like, you know, arts and crafts at Vacation Bible School? No lie. When vacation Bible School I was about third grade or something during the summer. We made ashtrays <laughs> for Vacation Bible School. 
I made one for my grandpa. Praise Jesus. That church didn't quite believe like we do, but all right. Back to this. The firmament of his handiwork, the work of his hands. Day unto day utters speech. Day utters speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice, day and night, is not heard. Their line has gone throughout all the earth. And their words, day and nights, to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, sunrise, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. It is rising from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Now, Romans one twenty. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly Seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, mankind, are without excuse. So God, primarily through the work of his hands, and we'll talk about more too, through creation. Everybody say through creation. Through creation, he reveals himself to everybody. So scripture says, by what he's made, no one has an excuse. Just look around. You say there's no God? And we make, and and again, let's go back to a point we made earlier. Our culture wants to shift and redefine things. Well, it really, it really wasn't made. It, there was an explosion (laughs) in some stuff. And, And I'm extremely simplifying that, okay? But honestly, Science, and if you'll, if you'll stay up with it in the, right, in the right veins, continues to prove God rather than disprove God. And um, we, need, we need to know this. Let's keep going here. General re- revelation through creation, through nature, does not involve Scripture. And it does not involve God speaking in, in some form to man. It's just a display that God has done. It's general. It's for everybody. It's obvious facts, obvious forces, obvious laws that are in place. Gravity. Day and night, they continue to draw a line. They continue to speak. Day and night, continue to say and show things. And you're just looking at that. And some explosion or something just made all that just kind of happen. If you're happy with that. And... And then the sky and the sea and a baby and flowers. And, and I went back and watched today. There's, um, I guess the BBC did it, um, Planet Earth. But here's the thing. You need to turn the sound off, though. Because the whole time they're talking about evolution. But I don't know how you do it. And it's Oprah. I guess they paid her some more money to, you know, to talk. But um, just, I was just watching. And you just need to see this. Not long ago, I, um, some friends of ours, I went to a beach house that they have over in Daytona Beach Shores. And 
when I got there, on my way over there, it was raining. And I went just to get still. And when I, the whole way there, it's raining. When I got there, it's just raining worse. And I, I stood on their balcony for about two hours. And I watched the waves and the storm fight. And then the breeze and the sounds of it. And I can't tell you, even though that quote, and they weren't actually fighting. You understand that? I can't tell you what happened in my soul. My soul just, just decompressed. It was just refreshed. Just in that time, just the breeze of that and just watching that and the sounds. God has sounds. He has colors, lights, stuff. Everybody say, wow. Wow. And I mean, really, if you, you stop and all of you need to stop and look up and look around and look at a baby, look at flowers. It's amazing. Romans 2, verse 14 and 15. Even Gentiles, and that means people outside of covenant with God, who do not have God's written law. Okay, everybody say written. They do not have the written law. Show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. Don't miss this. God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience. Everybody say conscience, conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they're doing right. Now we have creation, but we also have our conscience and your conscience. The the new King James says either accuses or excuses. And here's another thing. If our conscience is bothering us because we do something, but we like to do it, but then we feel bad that we do it and we know it's wrong, then can't we change, can't we change the rules and call it right? Maybe I just feel bad about doing it because they said it's wrong. And so we want to excuse ourselves from God's law when in fact everybody has an internal sense. Everybody has an internal sense of right and wrong. Everybody does. Now, you can callous that. You can, you can sear your conscience. Scripture says that can happen. But everybody has a sense of fairness. You don't believe that? Be unfair to them. That's not fair. There's God's law. An internal sense of right and wrong is written in the hearts of mankind because he's created in the likeness and the image of God. So even that is a sign in one of the ways that God reveals himself through moral law, through moral law and standards. Now, the purposes of of general revelation here, it provides to all people that God exists. It also does this. It reveals many of God's attributes, specifically creation. Art tells you about an artist. How many of you have ever been to a really good art museum? Okay, we'll go like for New York City or whatever. I'm good for about an hour and a half. Alicia wants to stay all day. But after a while, some of those things are weird. And if you see something, you know, and honestly, I know they cost a million dollars and, and I'm standing there looking at it and I'm not being prideful, but inside I'm going, I could do way better than this. And Alicia goes, well, it's a different style. And I go, yeah, I'll say. But how many of you know that the art tells you something about the artist? I mean, who was the guy who cut his own ear off? Van Gogh. You seen his art? 
I've never even wanted to cut my own ear off. And then you see, you see other stuff, and it's like, well, art tells about the artist. Then get, get the, the artist. Get this. Creation tells about a creator. And if there's a design, then there's a designer. And there's design all over the place. And it tells us something about the attributes of God. Again, Romans 1.20, this time from the New, New International. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Follow this. Being understood from what has been made so that people are without an excuse. The other part of general revelation is this. When we have knowledge that God exists, see, either by conscience, either by conscience or creation, the works of his hands, that we start to get an idea that God exists. Do you know what what happens with that then? It creates a sense of obligation. It creates a sense of appetite to seek God. See, if you felt like, and I've talked to people, I've I've personally witnessed to some people throughout my life. I remember one guy in college that... When I talked to him, he was, he had a whole set of arguments about how religion had done this and that, and the church that he grew up in did this. And so he had these just, just boundaries up and he said, so there just is no God. And so I talked to him and I talked to him and I talked to him and I didn't hammer him. I didn't yell at him or anything else. And then I think he saw God in me and I was not perfect. I was still working on trying to be even consistent. But I think he saw that God was real in my life and I cared for my friend. And I, and as I shared with him, you know, these things. And then finally one day I asked him because we were, we were sitting outside and I, and I told him something that had just happened to me. And it's a, it's a long story, but it was Matthew 6 unfolded in front of my eyes, so to speak. That God spoke to me through a bird of the air and a flower of the field. Where I'm sitting there and I shared that to him and I said, come on, man. Looking around you, don't you even know that there's, you've got to know that God's real. And he just stopped for a moment and goes, he is, isn't he? And over the next few weeks, then he started to show up at church with me. And then I had the personal joy and privilege a couple weeks later to sit down with him and pray with him to open his heart. And I'll never forget him hearing those words say, God, forgive me when I doubted you. I know you're real. And he just had to take baby steps and grow. And it took him a long while to get consistent with something. But you know what he knew in his heart? He admitted he's real. He's real. Once you can start to see through creation or even through your own conscience, it creates an appetite. It creates almost a sense of obligation to seek and find this God that you believe exists. In Acts 17, I'm almost done. Acts 17, verse 27, it says, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might get this, that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. General revelation. Now, hold on with me. General revelation is never enough. Don't, don't miss this as I wrap this up. It's never enough to produce faith for salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. At some point, at the right point, the message of the gospel has to be either read or heard. But just knowing that a God exists, you've got to know a little bit more than that. Let me read this passage, 
Romans 10, verse 13 through 17. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved as my friend. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Watch this. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And that's all of us preacher. And how shall they preach unless they're sent? I'm sending you. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Salvation can only come. But see, here's what God does so that people are without excuse. Now, I don't know how it all works out in the end. But I believe, I believe that every person, they might have seared their conscience by now or whatever, but there is on the inside of them. God has made known to all people. He said, I did it in such a way by my handiwork that they're without excuse to know that I exist. And you need to know that, that that exists. And that is why, hear me, that is why there's such a cultural war of ideas. To try to reframe that, to redefine that, to try to get that whole thing to slide one way or another to get God out of it. See, if God didn't create all of that, if we if we can somehow rewrite that. No, he he didn't. Then we take God out of the equation. Then I don't have to obey him. I can do what I want. I could. Do you see how this works? And man's not smart enough to come up with all that. The enemy is really involved in. In, in, in trying to mess all of that up. But you need to know, and, and, and I want you as a believer, I want you to start looking up a little more and looking down a little more and looking around a little more and hold my grandbaby and catch a sunset. Not all y'all hold my grandbaby. You're not, you're. Look at a sunrise, look at a sunset. This is last night or the night before we, we were headed west. At sunset, and my whole family was, look at that, look at that, look at that. And I want you to know that didn't just happen. And that is God for everybody. And let's not miss it as his children. He's revealing himself by his handiwork. His glory is declared in what he has made. And that's one of the ways that God is trying to reveal himself to everybody. That sets everybody else up. And then we'll talk about how he reveals himself further the next time. Amen. Did you get anything at all out of this tonight?